Okay, if everybody could look up here, thank you for that discussion. Every week we're going to do that. Check back online. You can see the entire sermon with that video, the one that I'm preaching right now, and you can share it with your friends. I was talking to somebody that you could probably relate to. He said, I got my truth from my parents. That's how I know my morals. That's actually called situational ethics. The situation that he found himself in is how he got his ethics. He's got it from his family. Now, his family just happens to be an American family. So now he has American ethics. But what if he was brought up in a tribe where cannibalism was a part of the warrior's entrance into manhood? You would have to kill an opposing uh, warrior, then eat that warrior's heart. Now we know you're a man. If you die in that fight, must not have been a man, you know? So would that be right? Because his mom would teach it to him. How many know people 2,000 years ago weren't stupid? How many know the Aztecs weren't stupid? How many know the Mayans weren't stupid? How many know the Romans weren't stupid? But they had different worldviews. Why is it Hitler got away with what Hitler got away with? Were the Nazi Germans stupid? Do you know that during that time, Germany was the most advanced nation in the world, even rivaling America in its achievements, in its academics? Still to this day, when you want to study theology, most theologians have to learn German. They were a Christian nation even at one time. What happened to them? They got deceived in their worldview. If you're new with us, a worldview is how you see the world. Everybody has one. Everybody has a worldview, a set of lenses that they see the world from. You probably have not even examined your worldview unless you've been coming to this church. You've been taking it for granted. You may be taking for granted, like I said, that cannibalism is wrong. But why is it wrong? Well, my mom told me it was wrong. Well, could your mom be wrong? What if your mom didn't know how good a man's liver tasted? Maybe a man's liver is the best tasting food you'll ever eat. And if we're just products of evolution, what's the difference between eating a cow or a person? See, you're just a part of a situation that now taught you cannibalism is wrong. But if you have a Christian worldview, who tells us cannibalism is wrong? God. God tells us cannibalism is wrong. Now understand this, both the atheist, non-believer, and the Christian can say, I don't want to do it. And so the atheist can go, hey, I don't need God to not eat people. I just don't want to eat them. But I'm not saying you don't need to have a belief in God not to eat people. I'm saying you need a belief in God to justify, to give you a foundation for not eating people. Does everybody get the difference? You have a preference not to eat people, and that's awesome. I'm so glad you don't eat people. But that doesn't change the fact of why you shouldn't eat people. Because if we came from the goo through the zoo to you, through evolution, you're just an advanced primate. You're just an animal. So the examples may be a little distasteful thinking about cannibalism and things, but I just want to bring them to the extreme. So he brought up the golden rule. Isn't that something, if you were with us last week, that both weeks when I talk to unbelievers, they always bring up the golden rule. They know there's something about the golden rule that's a good foundation. Yet, once again, why should the golden rule make any sense if you don't believe in a God? The golden rule is just an opinion if there's no God. Why is it a rule? 
Now imagine if I stood on the sidewalk and I held up a sign that said 15 MPH, a sign that said 15 MPH. How many would listen to me dressed like this holding up a sign that says 15 MPH? Nobody. I'd probably get, you know, fingers cast at me. You know, people be flicking me off. How much more so if I stood alongside of the Highway 90? I wouldn't stand out in the middle of it, of course, but if I stood alongside of it, 15 MPH. You think anybody would stop going 70, 80 miles an hour and go 15? But how many know if I had a blue uniform on with a Chicago logo police department on with a, with a police car next to me with the, the lights on and I held up a sign, how many know then people are going to want to stop? You see, the difference is authority. Somebody say Authority. Worldviews mean nothing unless you have authority. Now, God gives us the ultimate authority, but men over time have tried to use their own authority to force their worldview. And so that's where we now need to go to the scriptures and understand about the war of the worldviews. A war of authority is happening right now for your soul. Are you ready? Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians gives us a text today that we need to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. I'll, t- I'll take my time because I want you to look it up on your phone, your app, your Bible. I want to make sure you see this. We are called to demolish demonic strongholds. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the principalities that are lying to people to have false worldviews. Where did the original false worldview come from? The devil in the Garden of Eden, when he told us, you can be a God. That was his lie. He didn't want Adam and Eve to look at themselves anymore as just mere humans. He wanted to deceive them to think that they could become gods. And when we ate of that fruit, and I say we because we all were in Adam and Eve, we are all represented in them. We all would have made the same decision. In other words, when we ate of that fruit, we did not become like God. We became a sinful human. We became worse. So instead of being elevated, we got downgraded. And now that is why evil is on the world. But today the worldview war is raging on between the lies of Satan and the truth of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Do you understand why that's important to understand about the war of worldviews? How did the Aztecs have a worldview war? Did they have debates with the surrounding villages of Central and South America? Or did they conquer them and force them to their knees? Come on, how did the Greeks have a worldview war? Did Alexander the Great go, to be or not to be a Greek is the question. Do you want to be a Greek? Did he go around asking them? How did the Mayans... Are you listening to me? How did they come with their emperor God? How did the Egyptians come to Africa and enslave the people? Did they come to the Africans and say, well, if you want to worship the Pharaoh, you can. If not, that's up to you. We'll let you be. 
How did the Zulu nation, I was studying about the Zulu nation, by the way. Did you know this in black and African history? Did you know that while America was fighting a civil war to free the Africans, there was a demonic African dictator called Shaka, I think was his name, the Zulu leader. And did you know that he killed more of his own people on his side than he did his own enemy, than the enemies killed his own people? Look up the Zulu nation. He killed his own people more than the enemy even killed his own people, and he enslaved South Africa while America was fighting the Civil War. So much for the East, my brother, to the East. You better know your history, black history. Are you all listening? Ain't nobody ever loved you like Jesus. Let me just tell you that right now. And it ain't about him being red and yellow or black or white. It's about the blood that he shed for every one of us. Amen? Because I know everybody wants to talk about how the white people ruined the world, but when I talk about Aztecs and Incas and Mayans, and when I talk about Zulu nations, and I talk about the Egyptians, it gets a little bit quiet in a multi-ethnic church. But if I'm going to put out the white devil, can you put down the black devil, the Latino devil, all the people who have messed up this world? Will you put your people on blast? Because I'll put mine on blast. I'll put out the Romans right now. Every single one of them went to hell in a handbasket. Will you put out the Zulu nation, the Aztec, the, the Mayans? See, they fought world wars. They fought cultural wars to bring the world to its knees. And when Roman Catholics did it, they busted hell wide open too. I'll put them all out there. That's why I protest the Catholic Church. Amen? That's why today my name's not Father Tom. You can call me Joe. Amen? I'm not a father. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I'm a leader among other leaders. So the wars that we're fighting, we're not doing it as the world does. We're not going to conquer people as the Catholics tried to conquer them. We're not doing it as the Muslims are doing it right now. We're not going to do it like China is doing it right now. They just voted in a dictator for life, and the Chinese Christians are in severe persecution. Go to Open Door. Check out the website, Open Door, or Voice of the Martyrs. They are confiscating their churches, their Bibles. They're arresting the pastors. It's a code red situation. Why is it that through all of history, all of history, people have tried to kill the Christian people? Because we have the Christian worldview. And they can't stop us. That's why it's illegal in Muslim nations. But yet you can come to this nation and be a Muslim, but yet I can't be a Christian in Mecca. Are you listening? That's why you can be Chinese and have your freedom in our country, but we can't be a Christian in China right now. You see, the world is threatened by a Christian worldview, and we don't even have to lift up a sword. All we need is the same ground to speak on. All we need is the same time. Go ahead and bring Oprah Winfrey right here. I'll give her the same amount of time, and we'll show you how we demolish her worldview. We'll give the same amount of time to a Muslim imam. We'll give the same amount of time. And by the way, in Hinduism, they persecute Christians right now. All you have to do is listen to what's going on around the world in different Hindu uh, extreme states like Kerala. Like Kerala, India has seen thousands of Christians murdered by Hindu extremists. So listen to him. You give us an equal footing, we'll destroy your worldview every single time. So it threatens them. That's why your professors don't want me on that college campus. When I went to Wright College and I was preaching there, the, the skinny, and I'll just put him out there, the little skinny white guy, he got offended. He got offended. He got up all in my face. You know why? Because he couldn't stand against what I said. He wanted to go tell my mom on me. He wanted to go tattletale to the teacher. I said, sir, my grandfather fought in World War II that I can stand here right now. You don't intimidate me one bit. 
I called him a chicken and a coward. I said, you can't listen to a person have free speech. What's wrong with you? The free speech of Muslims and everybody in my country doesn't bother me because I know my truth will destroy them. Let me stand next to you on the street corner, have the same amount of time, and we'll destroy this worldview. I don't have to force you to be quiet. The truth will come out and make you be quiet. Are you all listening? That's why we preach everywhere we go. And people look at our church and they say, we're so radical. We're just like Jesus. Jesus brought his worldview to the face of the people who opposed it. But yet Jesus never lifted up his arms to fight, never called down fire. Yet within 300 years, the Roman Empire bowed its knee to Jesus Christ. We brought Rome to its knees by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. Are you all woke? You in a worldview war right now, people. Get woke. I mean it. Get woke. They'll try to divide you over the race. The Bible says there's only one race, the human race. What side you on? They'll try to divide you over history right now, but they won't tell you all the history. Which side you on? I'm on the Bible side's history. Don't lump me with Americans. Don't lump me with the Polish. Don't lump me with, with the Italians. Lump me with the men and women of God who serve the Lord. These are my people right here. See, it gets quiet like that. It gets quiet like that. I appreciate what America did for me, but those are not my people because Americans can go to hell and I can go to heaven. Are you listening? It's quiet, so I'm going to keep preaching. You can say, oh, me, oh, my, or you can say, amen. Either one is coming. Some may say it's tight, but it's right. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. I'm thankful for American pioneers, but some of them went to hell. I'm thankful for Jesus, my pioneer, who's in heaven. I'm going with him. So I'm surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I'm not just talking about Abraham Lincoln. I'm not talking about George Washington. They could be in hell right now for all I know. I'm surrounded by the disciples of disciples throughout the ages who said, I'm following Jesus even if nobody else follows. Now. When I put on that worldview, I can appreciate Mexico. And viva la Mexico. I was shouting them down yesterday as I was preaching. They were waving their flags. I was like, hola, senor. Que paso, Jesucristo, el senor. Viva la Mexico. I can do the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. I can do all of that. Why? Because my worldview is right. The worldview sets my priorities. God, family, then country. Country violates God or family during a choice there. It's always going to be those two above my country. But if I have a country that I can serve God in with my family, thank God for it. That's why I pray for America. That's why I love being in this nation. Out of all the nations of the world that are in trouble and going through what they're going through, I would rather be here than anywhere else. That's my personal opinion. It's up to you how you believe. But I want you to understand this. My worldview dictates how I see this country. My worldview dictates how I see myself as a husband. And I can't fight my battles as a husband with the weapons of this world. I have to be a godly husband and speak gentle to my wife. I can't fight this world and the gangbangers. We were out yesterday on Madison and Pulaski, and they were selling drugs right in front of us. I can't go over there and kill them all and expect it to stop because then somebody else will come and take their place. I have to win the worldview war in their mind. 
Their mentality has to be changed. Are you listening? We have to see the mentality of people change. We could go and arrest every gay homosexual person, and that would be very vicious and mean. I would never do that, but say if we did, that doesn't take away the urge of homosexuality. What took away the urge of homosexuality from those who testified about it here in this church is Jesus Christ. So whether it's in our relationships with each other or with our own families, we live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. But we are in a war. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. See, we do have weapons, don't we? And you have weapons for a what? A war. What do you get weapons for? A war. I don't just have weapons to go hunting. I have weapons to protect myself if a war breaks out. Amen? That's why you don't want to come to my house uninvited, okay? You can show up and ring the doorbell, but don't try to walk on in. You might meet Jesus a little bit too early, okay? And see, people get upset about stuff like that. Well, you're a preacher. You ain't supposed to do that. No, I'm supposed to protect my children. I want done unto others as I want done unto me. You don't have a right to violate my children's freedom. Amen? You can slap me, I'll turn the other cheek. Jesus never said what to do after they slapped the other cheek. Amen? It's on. Half kid. But listen to me. Listen to me. We have weapons. I have weapons for a war. That's why I have weapons. I don't go hunting. I don't have no desire to go hunting. Some of my friends always talk about hunting. Only kind of hunting I want to do is with a knife and a boar and tackle him and slit his throat, and y'all think I'm crazy. But that's all I want to do. I just want to go hunting with a knife and a boar. Because I want to give him a fair shot. He's got, he's got some tusks coming out. Just give me one knife. Because my friends in Texas, they have boar fields. Y'all looking at me crazy. I'll just finish the sentence at least. They have places where they hunt boars with guns and all that. They bring out their big 45 caliber and blow them up and everything. No, no, no. Give me a knife. He got tusks. Let's go. That's my thought on hunting. I got weapons for war. But the Bible says the weapons we have for a worldview, they are not the weapons of the world. That means I can't use war kind of weapons. I can't use military style weapons to defeat the enemy. What do I have? On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the weapons you are supposed to have are for a worldview war, and those weapons are to demolish strongholds. Amen? And what do we do when we demolish strongholds? Y'all better get this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Do we take captive people who disagree with us? Do we make them our slaves? No. Where do slave owners go according to the Bible? Hell, you can't own another man in that way. You can't do that. When the Bible talked about slaves, it talked about a system that was a part of their workforce, and it was a part of what everybody was a part of. More, more than half of the Roman Empire were slaves. And when Christians became, uh, when people became Christian slave owners, the Bible says you can't even threaten them. So you are to treat them as you are a slave of Christ. And we talked about that. So we don't take people slaves. We don't demolish people. We don't go into their neighborhoods and blow it up. I don't want anybody to do that to me. What I need is the truth, and what this generation needs is the truth, and the truth will set you free, and the power of the Word of God demolishes strongholds. Now, name out 10 strongholds right now, just as I start to call on some people. Give me a stronghold in our nation, Juan. 
depression. Does the power of God have authority to demolish the stronghold of depression so that people can take captive the thought of depression and bring it into obedience to Christ? Okay, shout out another one, Amy. Addiction. Does Jesus have the power to destroy addiction? Come on, somebody. Has anybody in this place been addicted before? But Jesus sets you free. I'll raise up both hands and a foot and a toe back here. Come on. I've been set free from addiction, smoking and drinking and doing drugs and pornography, at least four or five addictions. Shout out another one, sir. Well, drunkenness is under addiction. Give me another one, Adam. Suicide, we'll put that under depression. Same thing. I want, I want some unique categories. Give me, uh, give me another one. Sexual preference. There you go. Can Jesus set you free from misidentifying yourself, from thinking you're a transgender? Can Jesus set you free from preferring the same sex and not the opposite sex? Can I hear an amen? He will take that thought captives. This is what the world says. Let's butcher your healthy body to try to fix you. Jesus says, let's just fix your mind and your soul. And then they want to point at us and say, we're the ones that are dumb. You're the one cutting off work in pieces. You're the one making over here Frankenstein in a laboratory. And I don't mean like I don't love them. I'm just saying, man, that ain't smart. We're the smartest generation that's ever lived. We got smartphones, but we're so dumb. Are you listening? We, we, we know what a baby is inside of a womb. I'll give you the fourth one, abortion. Can Jesus take the captive thought of abortion and make it obedient so people love children again? We have the, we have the technology to see the heartbeat. What do you think that is? You, you find that on Mars, you're losing your mind. And we don't know life inside the womb. Give me another one. Number five, Berto, shout out one. Divorce. God can take captive the thought of divorce and adultery and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. God will help you to serve Jesus. How many believe God can keep you from divorce? We halfway there. Come on, y'all on Family Feud today, okay? There it is. I'm not Steve Hardy, but let's keep going. Let's go in the back. Lawrence, give me one. Racism. Can Jesus solve the problem of racism? Take every thought captive. Now, see, what people don't understand is how this backfires against them in evolution. Whenever you talk to an atheistic, agnostic evolutionist, they don't understand. They are the very reason for atheism, I mean, uh, racism. Do you want to know why? Because if you believe we came from ape-like ancestors, that means there has to be more evolved, some of us, than others of us. It only makes sense. How can you have a a chain of events and not have people that are not as evolved? Look up human zoos. Just Google it. Look up human zoos. They used to take the aborigines and put them in zoos and point it to them as missing links. Why? Because you have to find missing links from us to the ape-like ancestor. People, God is the reason that you get free from racism. God is the reason. God gives you the foundation. If, if, if evolution is true, there has to be a superior race. There's a superior race of everything else in the animal kingdom. We don't argue about that, do we? Is a pit bull superior to a chihuahua? Yeah, come on, somebody. Well, it depends what you want. I'm talking about real life. What do you want, a, ch- a chihuahua or a pit bull? So now do you understand where Nazi Germany was coming from? They looked at the African people and said, look, they're more similar to the apes. They shouldn't even be allowed to compete in the Olympics. You see, this is a devil's lie. This is a devil's lie. Racism is solved in the Bible. We come from one race, the human race. 
Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. Okay, now uh, give me one back here. Yes. Yes, sir. Greed. How many know Jesus sets you free from greed? He takes captive the thought that if I have more, I'll be more. Everybody that's been captivated by greed knows what I'm talking about. If you think you have more, you will be more. You fall into that trap, that rat race to get more. So now you want more to have more to be more. I got to get more to have more to be more. And then you find yourself with a condo at the lake, a beach house in Miami, all of these things. But now you're on your third marriage. Your children are depressed and you don't know yourself anymore. And that's why, get this, middle-aged, upper-class white men have the highest rate of suicide. Because money, education, all of that doesn't change anything. Can I get an amen? Let's go for two more. Somebody shout out one. Okay, back here. Danielle, give it. What's that? Gangs, violence. Let's go for violence. How many know Jesus is this solution to violence? How many know if we all treated each other the way we wanted to be treated, we could not have gangs? We just couldn't do it. I believe that there's a just war theory, and that means sometimes you've got to fight to protect the innocent. I believe in that. But how many know the gangs shooting each other up, killing innocent people on the streets, and fighting over illegal means like drugs and money and all of these things would go away just like this if we kept the golden rule. Amen? Shout out one more. Pride. Let's just go to political corruption. I'll take that as pride. How many would like to see political corruption go? Well, what do you think they swear upon? Do they swear upon Doc, uh, Darwin's book, The Evolution of the Human Species, The Origin of Man? Do they swear upon Dawkins' book? What do politicians swear upon in this country? The Bible. Now, if they live by it, would we be in the mess we're in? No. So, hey, y'all got some work to do then, don't you? Go demolish some strongholds. Go demolish some. Y'all looking at me now like, Pastor, I thought that's what you're doing right now. No, I'm preparing you to go do that out in your world. Everything we just name, I'm equipping you for. That's what I've got to do. Amen. I've got to go out there and teach people. I've got to go out there and tell the facts. And you've got to go out there and tell the facts. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. If you don't know a worldview is how you see the world and everything in it. It's how you give an explanation for what you believe. What is a biblical worldview? It's how you see God. It's how you see the world through God and his word. I want to show you this chart now with a little bit more details than I gave you last week. This is what I call a Christian worldview. It's the pyramid of epistemology. Somebody say epistemology. Epistemology is a big Greek word that means the study of knowledge. It's how you know what you know. It's thinking about your thoughts. I can put anybody's worldview into this pyramid. Everybody's worldview has an axiom or a starting point. Then from that starting point, everybody's worldview has presuppositions. And then from those presuppositions, we have propositions. These are the only things that we can know in certainty. And then above here is opinions. Now, I want to help explain this to you a little bit more. And then I want to give you an example of winning a war in the worldview from Paul in the book of Acts. As a Christian, our foundation, our axiom is God and his word. When people hear that, they think that's silly. But all you have to do now is ask them, what is your axiom? If they say, my reason is my axiom, my logic is my axiom, ask them, how can logic exist without a God? Logic is immaterial. Can you paint the law of non-contradiction right now red and sell it to me for $1.99? How do we all ascend mentally to the law of non-contradiction? Can I give you an example of contradicting? contradiction? Can you be a married bachelor? How do you all recognize that? 
by logic. Can you make a square circle? How do you recognize that as a contradiction? Logic. But is logic material? No, logic is immaterial. Immaterial. Now, some people who want to get out of the belief in God will be like Plato and say that immaterial thoughts can exist like mathematic and logic. They literally believe in one sense, like Sesame Street, that the law of logic is walking around doing things. But how many know that's foolishness? Just believe God. See, it's more make-believe to believe in Platoism than it is to believe in Christianity. As one man said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Y'all play make-believe. I know where the laws of logic come from. Bible says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is that Greek word for word? Logos. And what does the word logos mean? Logic, truth. In the beginning was the Word. There it is. It is the root for logic. Look up the word logic and then the etymology in the Greek, not the Latin. Latin comes after the Greek. You see it's logos. Our logic comes from a person, the mind of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. In the Greek, the aletheia. It's not just that truth is a thing that we ascend to, we think about. Truth is actually a person. In other words, if there wasn't sun, if there wasn't a sun, there wouldn't be sun rays. If there wasn't a God of truth, there would not be truth for humans. If there wasn't a God to give life, there would be no life. If there was not a creator, there would be no creation. If there wasn't a designer, there would be no design. Does everybody get that? I double dog anybody to try to go around this. As an axiom, it will fail. This is where Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine builds their house on it. It's like a man who builds their house on a rock. Those who don't are like those who build their house on the sand. God and his word is the only thing that is sure. Now, trust me, I will get into the Bible and help you understand how we defend the authenticity of the Bible. But can I show you a quick way to help people get out of the problems of canon, transmission, textual variance? Can I show you a quick way? Can I hear an amen? All I have to do is ask them this. In my worldview, God is my starting place. Is that true? And they say, yes. If God is my starting place and God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he's everywhere, is he able in my worldview to create a book that can be handed down from generations that gives me a perfect message of his will? Is that possible, yes or no? If it's at least possible, I've given them a solution to the problem. Whether they accept it or not, it is possible God can preserve his word. Therefore, I have not contradicted my own worldview. If they say, I know what is true by what I know what is true, I reason to know whether or not my reasoning is true, they have no validation for that because their reasoning can be deceived. They could be a brain in a vat. How can I know the Bible is true? God said. They say, I can say, my God said, the flying spaghetti monster, the law of identity now makes them describe that spaghetti monster. What is the spaghetti monster you worship? Is he all-powerful? Yes. Is he all-knowing? Yes. Is he everywhere? Yes. You've just described my God by a silly name. Stop being silly. If I say Joe is six foot one, Joe is 220 pounds, Joe is married to Nancy, and then I say person X is six foot one, 220 pounds, married to Nancy, am I describing two different people or the same person? Even though I'm calling the person person X, the law of identity says if they are the same, then they are the same. Do you guys understand? E A equals A as long as there's no difference between A and the other A. Or you could say A equals B as long as B is the same as A. So when they try to posit a false God alongside of our God, ask them, do you worship that thing? 
because you just described it as my God. My God is worthy of your worship. That's our axiom. Somebody say axiom. The next thing is that we have presuppositions. These are the things that your axiom assumes you know for it to make sense. Everybody has them. It's impossible to have a worldview without presuppositions. Otherwise, you have to then research every single belief, and you could never do that because you are not eternal. You would take all the time just to go back into the beginning to reevaluate every single moment to get to where you are. So there are some things you have to start with your axiom and say, I trust my axiom. I presuppose my axiom is right. So once again, if somebody said, my reason is my axiom, and they say, I, I presuppose that I can use my reason. I'll say, that's fine, but let's see the reasons you come up with for existence. How did we get here? If they say there was a big bang, what am I going to say? Who banged it and what banged? Right now, I'm going to begin to show them that their presupposition makes no sense. And their axiom of reason can't even be proven with reason because they could be a brain in a vat. I'm destroying their worldview. But what am I going to do? I'm going to say my axiom is God and his word. And right at the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the spirit of God was upon the face of the deep. And the Lord spoke. And then he said, let us, plural, make man in our plural image. Right there within the first chapter, I know my God is triune. And as I go through the rest of the books of the Bible, he is revealed in the name, singular, one name, one being of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Bible assumes a triune God. Are you understanding? I said, are you understanding? I don't have to prove it outside of my Bible because, remember, my Bible is my axiom. All I have to do is show that it doesn't contradict. The atheist keeps contradicting himself. That's the problem. We're not playing by two set of rules. If you can get your axiom and presuppositions to line up, you're on your way to a good worldview. But as I just said, they can't get off the ground with their reason. And then starting with their presuppositions, where you came from, they can't even explain how nothing from nothing... Uh, how from nothing, nothing comes. How from nothing, something came. Do you understand? Follow me on Facebook tomorrow as I come into the SUM chapel and go deeper, but I am going quickly now. The second thing is that it's creation over evolution. When they try to say we see that over time things change, yes, we agree that on the Galapagos Islands that the finches had different types of beaks compared to where they were in the diet that they had. Yes, we agree that people here look different. There's different varieties of us, but a bird is still in the bird kind. The finches were not bananas. Do you understand? And, and the finches didn't turn into tigers, okay? And dinosaurs didn't turn into birds. This is make-believe for adults, the next thing that we learn is humanity is sinful from the fall. I was listening to an interview with a Christian who is now an atheist, and he said one of the greatest things that turned him against God was 9-11 because he saw all the evil that happened. I said, bro, you must not have been a very good Christian because I know evil happened in the book of Genesis. It's not a surprise to me. Why would I need 9-11 to show me wicked people will do wicked things? Within the book of Genesis, we turned our back on the most holy God. That was the most wicked thing we ever could have did. And by Genesis chapter 6, Six, God is judging the world with a worldwide flood. That's why when I preach like this, people say, how, I mean, how do people even come to your church? I say, you'll be surprised how fast our church is growing, how many new people we have, because they're tired of a lukewarm Christianity. They would rather have the truth, and the truth set them free. 
That's why 80% of our church is in discipleship. That's why we're over 200 in both of our services. That's why we keep growing every year because I don't give you any magic trick up here or try to erase the Bible. There is a judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah was real. Noah's flood was real. And guess what? The Bible explains why it's real. Because we're wicked. We're evil. You talk to somebody who doesn't believe in God. Tell me what's wrong with Hitler then. According to you, he won. What do you like? Just ask him. What do you like? Sex? He had sex. You want power? He had more power than you. You're lame at power. Look at you. You only got a bike right here. This guy had a country. What else do you like? Oh, you like money? He had all the money in the world. He took over France. He owned the Eiffel Tower. How about that? You want that? That's what he had. And guess what? He killed himself, so he won. Game over. You know the kid who just does, he sees himself losing, and then he says, I'm taking the ball, and I'm going home. That's what Hitler did. In an atheistic worldview, how does he lose? He won. In an atheistic worldview, there's no more judgment now. He, he just took everything he wanted. So go be like Hitler then, right? No, thank God we're not because we have enough sense to know something about that ain't right. And then the Christian worldview goes one step forward. The moment, everybody look up at me. The moment he put that gun to his head, he went into a hellfire that he wished he wasn't in. And he's been in there ever since, and he'll be there for eternity. Don't you go there with him. Amen? Because you'll go there for your sins too. There's not just a hell for Hitler, people. There's a hell for all those unbelievers who do not put their trust in Jesus. The second thing is Jesus is God in the flesh. How do I know Jesus is God in the flesh? He said he would rise from the dead, and he did. I believe him. What else you got? What are you going to do? I talk to Hindus all the time. They want to put Jesus on Hindus' team. No, you don't. Leave them alone, Hindus. You ain't got them. They'll make them doing the meditation and all of that. You can do that, but that's make-believe. He belongs to the Jewish faith. To say you were God in the Jewish faith was blasphemy. That's why they had right to kill him, and they had to hand him over to the Romans because they couldn't kill people without their permission. But by their law, he was a blasphemer. He made himself out equal to God. Read the Bible. He said, before Abraham was, I am. By him saying the Greek word, ego am I, I am, he was saying the same thing that was in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Yohe Vahe. That was how they read the Bible of that time. The Hebrews read it in Greek. When they heard him say, I am ego ami, I am that, he just called himself the divine name of God, and they picked up stones to kill him. But he said, I will rise again. You will destroy this body, but I will rise again. He has risen, my friends. He ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. I dare you to try to disprove it. Those who have tried, many have become Christians along the way. Number five, salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Don't let any false prophet tell you otherwise. Don't let Joseph Smith, don't let uh, Charles Taze Russell of the uh, Jehovah Witnesses, don't let the Mormons, don't let Muhammad, a false prophet tell you you have to do anything other than believe in Jesus. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And you put faith in him. You cannot work your way to heaven. You must receive your way to heaven. And then lastly, God will judge the world. These are the things we presuppose. I'll die on these hills. I'll argue all day, and I'll show you none of them contradict my worldview. But at the same time, I'm defending the gospel. I'm destroying their worldview, and I'm showing them the things they say. When the Muslim says, well, I don't believe God is triune, I disagree. Why would I believe a prophet 500 years after Jesus and the disciples who couldn't even read or write and said he was demonized and tried to throw himself off a cliff when he got his revelations? No, thank you very much. I'll take the Bible. Galatians told me that in the last days, people will come with a false gospel. 
gospel. Even if an angel comes, I shouldn't believe them. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel than the one preached to you, let him be under a curse. What did Joseph Smith say he saw in upstate New York? An angel Moroni. What did uh, Muhammad say he saw in a cave when he went to seek God for more revelation? The angel Gabriel. My Bible told me a thousand plus years before Joseph Smith, 500 years before Muhammad, anybody comes preaching another gospel, I don't care if they saw an angel, tell them they're under a curse. And I love a preacher that likes to repeat himself because I do it a lot. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if you didn't get it the first time, if anybody's preaching to you another gospel other than one you accept him, let him be under God's curse. You all understand that? Any world religion offers you another book of prophecy. Test it by the word of God. The word of God is your original. That's how you understand the counterfeits. Now, what did I teach you guys last week? Do I love Muslims? Yes, I do, but I hate Islam. Do I love atheists? Yes, I do, but I hate atheism. Do I love gangbangers? Yes, but I hate gangbanging. Do you all get it? It's not hard, is it? I love the people of the Roman Empire. But I hate what the Roman Empire did. I love the people of the Aztec Empire, but I hate what the Aztec Empire. I love every person in the Zulu Nation, but I hate what they did. It's not hard, is it, people? Can I just show it to you in black and white again, the Word of God? Go to 1 John chapter 2. The Bible says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Now, some people might say to themselves, well, I thought John 3.16 said that God so loved the world. Well, that's why I'm writing to you because I want you to understand the difference between what we love and what we hate. Look at what it says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. And John 3, 16 said what? God so loved the... Is that a contradiction? No. Let's look at what the difference is here. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Well, that's a contradiction. I thought the Father loved the world. Let's keep going. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. How is the world described right here? As a person or as a it? So God says, hate the it, the desire of the world. But what does the world refer to here? God so loved the world that he gave. Is that an it or is that referring to people? People, for God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do not love the evil desires of the world. Now you know, don't you? How many learn something? How do they say it in modern English? You love the sinner but hate the, the sin. Amen. How many ready for the word now? Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. That was the introduction. Let's go to Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17. Here's how Paul won the worldview war. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, this is a major city of the Greek empire, but it's been taken over by the Romans now. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned, with the, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So he wasn't afraid to go to those who had different viewpoints. He went to the Jews and reasoned with them. That would be very similar, like with us going to reason with the Catholics. And then he goes to the marketplace to reason with everybody else. Now in verse 18, a group of Epicureans 
These were the philosophers who would be considered deistic materialists. They lived for the greatest pleasure and believed there were gods, but the gods weren't involved in their everyday life, so they could do whatever they pleased, whatever felt good. And then he met some Stoics. These were philosophers who were pantheists, and they believed that virtue and knowledge and good ethics was good. These would be like humanists. So he met those who loved pleasure and those who loved knowledge, these philosophers. They began to debate with him. Now did Paul say, hey, guys, hey, I don't debate. That's not what I do. Is that what he said? Or he said, let's get it on. Let's keep reading. Some of them asked him, what is this babbler trying to say? They ridiculed him. He's a babbler. He's not as smart as us. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. We haven't heard of these gods, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We don't know who these gods are. And they made him out to be a pagan, in other words. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him into a meeting of the Areopagus or Mars Hill. Eris was the god of war of the Greeks. Mars was the god of war of the Romans. After the Romans conquered the Greeks, they changed the name from their god of war, uh, from the Greeks' god of war to their god of war. So here, just so I see appropriation of culture, here's white people stealing other white people's culture. <laughs> it's happened all over the place. Just like Aztecs stole Latino culture from other Latino culture. Are you guys listening? Just like Native Americans stole Native American culture from other. It's happened all over. African culture, you ever heard of a, a Hotel Rwanda? the Hootsies and the Tootsies, the genocide that they did to each other. It's been happening since Cain killed his own brother. Are you listening? Oh, it's quiet in this church. Can I hear an amen? I want to put an end to what you hear on the TV about social justice. The Bible gives us real social justice. Stop believing the lies of racism. Believe one race, the human race. Amen. So the Greeks were taken over by the Romans and had their hill changed to the Roman gods. But the Greeks still hung out there, just like I still hang out in Sears Tower. It's Sears Tower. Amen. It's not Willis Tower. It's what tower? It's, it's Sears Tower. Amen. You can take it over if you want, but it don't matter. And it's still Comiskey, right? It's, it's Comiskey. You could call it whatever you want, but it's still Comiskey Park. Amen. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, Mars Hill, where they said, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So we want to know what you're talking about, Paul. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We would like to know what they mean. All of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Do you hear a hint of sarcasm from Luke here? Luke is the author. He's putting in the brackets his personal opinion. He's basically saying all these guys do is just argue all the time. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He says what's true. He doesn't have to lie about people. Whenever somebody has to lie about your position to defeat it, that's called a straw man. That shows you they have no real argument. When people hear what I say and they misconstrue it too, did you hear that, Pastor? He just hates everybody. He's a white supremacist. If you hear what he says, he, just, he says everybody goes, you didn't listen to anything I said. You have to beat up a straw man instead of the real person standing here. Come in the ring with my ideas, not the ideas you thought I said. I say them pretty clear. My notes are online and the video is online. Amen? So Paul didn't have to make up lies about him. He looked at him and goes, I get it. You're religious. You believe a lot of stuff around here. You're dedicated to what you believe. What you believe is true to you. It's relative to you. It relates to you. He says, for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. They worship so many gods they even had one. They said, just in case we missed any, we're going to call this one the unknown God. 
That's how pagan they were. There's a whole story about that that I'll tell tomorrow in Bible college that you got to check out online or download the app and get it from there. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Now watch what Paul called him right there. He said, so you are so beautiful and you're just so awesome. Is that what he said? He said, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Notice how he takes something out of their own belief system that they called the unknown God. And he said, yeah, I'm going to start right there. The thing that you thought you didn't know and that wasn't that important to you, whatever, I'm going to now say that's the God I'm worshiping, and I'm going to describe what he's like. Because he's not like Zeus. He's not like Hermes. He's the one that you don't know anything about. He had to know something about their worldview to be able to take it so he could use it to preach the gospel. That's why if you're going to get into relationships with people of different and worldviews, you don't come acting like you got all the answers. You learn from them. When I was discussing with my Hindu neighbor last week, I had to learn his beliefs because just because I've been to India three times doesn't mean I know every Hindu belief. They have over a thousand gods. Come on, someone's upwards of a million. I had to hear what he actually believed. And there's different versions of Islam, and there's different versions of Roman Catholicism, and there's the Mormons, and then there's the restored Church of Latter-day Saints, which is different than the Mormons. Those are the crazy ones who are still living like Joseph Smith and polygamy, okay? So you got to know a little bit about them. We're not here being, we're not ignorant. Somebody say, we're not ignorant. See, that's the problem. A lot of times Christians got the the wrong or maybe sometimes well-deserved accusation of being ignorant, but not around here, amen? That's why in our books we teach you what they believe and we show you what they believe because we don't have to make it up to disprove it. We take the best of what they have. So you're ignorant of this very thing. I'm going to preach it to you. Now listen to his worldview. Going to take the glasses of Christianity and help them see something they've never seen before. How many can tell that the projector is a little bit clearer than it's been before? Some of you who were in second service last week understand that it went out. We had to get another one sent to us. It's, it's crisper than it was before. He is now going to show them their worldview doesn't really make sense of the world like his does. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because their gods always needed stuff. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. You see right there, he says we all got our life and our breath from him. For from one man he made all the nations. Do you know that the Greeks thought they were superior race? The Romans thought they were superior race? The Egyptians thought they were superior race? The Aztecs, I could go on all day. This lie was always around, we're a superior race, we're a superior race. But look at how he He says, from one man he made all nations. So what has he just done? He has crushed racism, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Have you ever wondered why you were born into America or to the country you were born or the generation you were born or the gender you were born? The Bible says God determined your gender. God determined the generation. God determined your country. Come on, somebody. He's talking about the sovereignty of our God. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. This verse gives me hope. 
Because when our missionaries went to the Chinese dynasties, to the Indian people for the first time, oftentimes we found similarities in their religion to the Jewish people's faith or to Christianity because God was reaching out to them through dreams and visions. Get eternity in their hearts. A great book from missions that shows how God has not left these people without witness. So God has always been reaching out to these nations. And so what happens to them? People always want to ask that question. Well, what happens to the, to the person in the jungle who never heard about Jesus who died? They get judged by what they know. They get judged by their conscience. And then I say, guess what? And you're not them because I'm giving you a whole lot so you're going to be judged on this. So stop trying to run away to Africa and be some person in a village that never heard anything. This is for you right now, Bubba. You hearing it all. Amen? Because we don't need to talk about Kuta Kinte right now. He's already died and been judged. We don't need to talk about those from the Chinese dynasty. We don't need to talk. Those people have already died and been judged. And by the way, that's why we keep sending out missionaries. Who I'm talking to right now is Ralph, Ralph, the college student. I'm talking to you, Ralph. You know the gospel, and you're going to be judged by it. Come on, somebody. You're without excuse. Now he says, for in him... We live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. He literally takes one of the Little Wayne songs or Beyonce songs. He takes one of their lyrics from their poets and uses it in his gospel presentation. Isn't he amazing? He doesn't compromise. Everybody get this. He doesn't now start shaking it with Beyonce. He doesn't start agreeing with what the worldview is. He just pulled the truth out of the worldview because whatever is true is true. If an atheist says two plus two is four, it's still four, y'all. Are you listening to me? If an atheist discovers something good about combustion and help us go to, go, go to Mars, that's wonderful. It, it's still true. So what he's saying is truth can be found in there, but I filter it through my Christian worldview, which is the way I decipher between a genuine and a fake. How do you know the real dollar bill from the counterfeit? You got to know the real. So he pulls this out. And what is real about this, and Paul talks about it in Ephesians, is that not only is God our creator somewhat out there, but God in his energies has given us sustainability for life here. So the way we look at it is there is a difference between God's essence and his energy. If we believe that everything was his, his essence, we would be pantheist, that this would be God, the computer would be God, I would be God. That's what the poet here really was coming from, was from that aspect of pantheism, that everything was God. But instead, we as Christians believe in panentheism, that everything comes from God or is in God, but separate by his energies. Let me give the example of the sun again. The sun is the essence, the rays are the energy. God is the essence and his presence, his Father, Son, Spirit in heaven, and his energies, his sustaining power is what holds up the universe. Did you all get that? So I'm not trying to say today that God is distant from us. As sinners, he's distant from a relationship with us in our hearts. His essence, his personhood is not with us. But every single one of us could not live without him. Oh, it's so quiet. Man, I wish I had like two amens. Because of that, I'm going to preach another 10 minutes. I really have to, and I don't even do that for punishment. In him we live and move and have our being. Y'all got to hear that today. Today, you cannot be distracted by the things of this world. you got to go deeper with me. Go to the book of Ephesians. In him, we live and move and have our being. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. How many remember the Ephesians series? Okay. Now, in the Ephesians series, I did a whole sermon on this, but I can tell you guys don't remember it because I'm not getting any amens. Or you all forgot I want amens so I can understand you know what I'm talking about. 
Okay? So either start amen or start remembering. And if you've never been taught, start learning. Amen? So now you can know what to say amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Paul, he's doing this later on in life. Remember the book of Acts is recounting his life. It shows when he goes to Ephesus, it's around the time of when he's in Athens, but he doesn't write the letter of Ephesus until he's in jail, which happens at the end of the book of Acts. That's when he gets arrested. But look at the revy that he tosses these people of Ephesus. And God placed all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills what? who fills everything in every way. Now, you better be careful about how you describe God filling everything in every way. It is important you know this. Because if you become like Spinoza or these other modern-day philosophers, you will say God fills everything in every way, and that means everything is God. You cannot believe that as a Christian. God is distinct from his creation. How do we make the distinction then that God can be said to fill everything in every way, yet we are not pantheists that believe everything is God? We must make a distinction between God's essence, who he is as a person, and what his energies are, what his power is. Somebody say his power. So what we believe is his person and his power are different. His essence and his energies are different. As the sun represents the person, the rays represent the power. The sun represents the essence. The rays represents the energies. Does everybody get that? Amen. Because I had about three more scriptures on that. But thank you. We will move along, class. So he taught them that. And we are his offspring. Now, once again... I might have to see how long i got to stay on this. When he said we are his offspring, does that mean we are all God's children? No, because God's children, thank you for being honest and saying yes, but I'll teach you that it's not true. John chapter 6 says that some of you are children of the devil, and you may be here today. And how do we know difference between children of the devil and children of God? The Bible teaches us clearly in John chapter 6 that those who do not listen to Jesus are children of the devil. Now listen to how he begins to tell them about their father. And is John 8. Sorry, I said John 6. Thank you, preacher. Somebody get up for Jared helping me out today. Here we go. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Verse 42, if God, John chapter 8, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the what? You belong to your father, the who? The devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. So how do we now know the difference between what Paul meant by offspring and what now people mean in the new age, we're all God's children? The difference is we are God's created people, his offspring in creation. So we are brothers and sisters in humanity, not brothers and sisters in spirituality. I wish somebody put that on Facebook. I work hard up here, guys. Come on. I feel like who was the hardest working man in show business? What was his name? What was the, the, the James? I feel like James Brown up here, the hardest working man in show business. Wow. Because y'all ain't kidding this. 
The difference between offspring and children, according to Paul. Paul would not have meant it that way. Remember, the guy he's quoting from is a pantheist who believes everything is God and believes that everybody is God's children. But how does Paul mean it according to his teachings? According to his teachings, there's a difference between the essence and the energies of God, and there's a difference between being the creature and the child of God. Amen. Therefore, since we are God's creation, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands people everywhere to just go to church and do nice things and smile a lot. Is that what it says? See, Paul, according to his worldview, was not afraid to tell the truth. Paul said that now God commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. And repent means you are a sinner. Repent of your sins. For he has set a day. Come on, somebody say, he set a day. Amen. He is not slow in coming, the Bible said. He's patient so that more of us can be saved. He set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was the cornerstone of his message. And he didn't care if they didn't like it because look at what happens. When they heard this about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. They laughed at him. But then others wanted to hear more of the subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed so that means they follow Jesus. Follow Paul as he follows Jesus. And they actually named the names there. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus. So an actual leader of these philosophers gives their life to Jesus. Also a woman named Demarius. Isn't this beautiful? Women and men, co-equal, being named here. This shows you that the church accepted them as full status into the church. And a number of many others. Come on, somebody say amen. So in closing, as Adam comes, thank you guys for, for making that easy today. It wasn't that hard, was it? Y'all you, you got something out of it? Amen. Here's how we can win the, the war of worldviews. We don't do it by force. We're not angry at people. We love them. We hate the sin. We hate false belief. Just like I, I love my children, but I hate their attitude. I love my children, but I don't like it when they disobey. God loves us, even though some of us have the wrong worldview. And so we need to change. If you're here today and you haven't been born again, be born again. Come to Jesus. There will be altar workers up here to pray with you. You can become a Christian just like the way I did. You don't need to do anything to earn it other than believe. I didn't earn my Christianity. Trust me, I couldn't. I'm not good enough. Nor are you. But listen, if you're here today as a Christian, start living like one. Show the world the difference. Be like Paul, someone that's willing to engage in debate. At some point, it may not be fruitful. The Bible says don't throw your pearls before swine. The Bible says don't answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be like him. Know the difference, but don't be afraid to get into disagreements. Don't be afraid to talk about your worldview. Let me ask you this before I tell you how to do it from Paul's uh, way of doing it. How many know they come wearing their worldview glasses to, to the job tomorrow too? So you come wearing yours. Don't let them tell you you got to take yours off. They'll come talking tomorrow about their sports. They'll come talking tomorrow about their sex life. They'll come talking tomorrow about the things they believe. You talk about what you believe. And if you get persecuted, use wisdom. The Bible says be as wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. Use wisdom because there may be sacrifices you have to make. And there may be other times, the Bible says, that it's better for you to remain silent. There's times that you may have to do that. But use your wisdom, okay? Let's look at what Paul taught us. Number one, we should be spirit-led. 
in our emotion towards other people's beliefs and worldviews. The Bible says Paul was grieved when he saw what they believed. We shouldn't just say it's okay. We tolerate in this way. We don't force our opinion on others, but we should be open to the Spirit grieving us when we see what we see. When I saw them dealing drugs yesterday on Madison, and you can see the live video, it's up from the truck, I was grieved, man. I prayed for drug addicts. I was grieved. It bothers me. You should let your emotions be touched by people's wrong worldviews. It shouldn't come from a place of anger and hate. It should come from a place of compassion. The next thing that we must do like Paul is we have to reason with unbelievers. You see the example with me. I don't just stand above the people on the streets. I prove it to you it works by going toe-to-toe with people on the streets, just like you have to. They don't care if I'm a pastor. I literally had a guy yesterday. You can see it in the live feed. I won't tell you where it's at. But he comes to me, and he's like, you believe this? And I'm like, yeah, and he's like, F you. And in case I didn't see it, he does it again. You'll see him on the live feed and hear him. See, I, I, I don't get no respect out there. They don't care who I am. But I'm willing to reason with them. I'm willing to teach them about Jesus. Don't be offended when you're preaching the gospel. Don't take it personal. You're not out there selling your autobiography. Do you want to read Joe's autobiography, Ten Ways I Made It in Life? You're not doing that. You're literally going, do you want to read what Jesus did? Do you want to talk about what he did? That's what it is. Don't be afraid of debate or disagreement. Paul was able to go in front of those people and discuss, and we got your back as a church. That's why we want you to go to 101, 201, which you learn. You'll learn how to do it to others, uh, to give to others. Know the basics about other people's beliefs. Take time to learn what they believe because it's a conversation. I didn't come there with that young man at the beginning and automatically assume I knew who he was. I didn't know who he was. I don't know what he believed. He believed he got his morals from his mama. Mama. Mama gave me my morals. And I like to do a little southern, you know. Mama gave me my morals. Mama couldn't be wrong. No, what could mama teach me that was wrong? I just want to say it like that, not to make fun of them, but how many know we think like that? Mama told me. So one of the examples that, that my brother had to cut out was, I said, my grandfather was Italian, butchered his own meat because he had his own farm and would eat it raw. Should I do that too? Because grandpappy did it? Should I eat raw meat because my grandfather did it? Yes or no? No, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't believe a lie for anybody, should I? Know what they believe. Number five, clearly state your, pro- your propositions. When you come to start making judgments, see, when we look at our chart right here, I didn't get a lot of time to get into it, but when we got our axiom and our presuppositions, we're going to start making judgments. Some people say, judge not lest you be judged. I say, twist not scripture lest you be like Satan. We judge not in the sense of making up our own moral code. I'm not telling you what Joe says and then putting Jesus' name on it, like making up a meme. Abraham Lincoln said, vote for Trump, you know. That's a false judgment of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln didn't say vote for Trump. How many know that? Okay. So, so here's the idea. The idea is I don't put false judgments on you, but Jesus says judge righteously, not by appearances, but judge righteously. Read that in the book of John. The other one's in Matthew. So at one point, you're going to have to make your propositions, make them clear, but do it on the word of God. That's what Paul said. Hey, there's only one God. He's going to judge the world. There's only one race, the human race. Everybody's got to repent. Number six, don't be discouraged when some people reject you. Everywhere you go, it's the same thing. Some will listen, some will not. While I'm out there and this guy is literally flicking me off like, like as if he took the most, the most 
prideful posture. I mean, he, the way he even lifted, it wasn't like a little flick, like flick. It's like he put it like so high. You know, it's like he wanted, even the way he was holding his hand, I was like, you have quite a posture of flicking me off. I'm, I'm impressed. Usually I'm just, you know, but he took time. He took time to think it through, to, to form his fingers, to point it at me, and, and, to, and to thrust it. He just didn't want to be like, boop, boop. He didn't want it to be quick. He wanted to be like that blinking slime. Open, open, we're open now, open. Like, take this. And if I didn't see, if I, if I missed it, he wanted to be clear because then he came over and he just wanted to be clear. He's like, do you believe this? And then he did it again. He did it twice to make sure I would not miss what he was doing. But yet we had people in tears. We had others say that they were so amazed by the testimonies. I prayed for a woman on drugs shaking under the power of God. It's worth it. It's worth it every time. Almost five, 600 people now have already watched it on, online saying they're encouraged to go out and preach on their streets now. How much good came out of that? And remember, they killed Jesus, okay? And you're not better than your master, the Bible said. Jesus said, if that's what they did to me, get ready for what they're going to do to you. And then lastly, be ready to make new disciples. Because after these people got saved, Paul didn't go, yes, I crushed Dionysus. Look at this on Facebook. Pastor crushes Dionysus. Click. You ever see those? Like Republican crushes justice warrior. Click. Like he didn't put Dionysus on blast. Like Dionysus is being shamed, you know. Like it has like Paul like screaming over Dionysus like this. Pastor crushes pagan. Paul crushes pagan. No. He said, man, come on. I, I was deceived too. Join the, join the church. You're my family. You're my brother. You're my sister. Let's go preach. Let's go reach others. Let's teach one to reach one to teach one. If you believe it, will you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Amen. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Do you love Jesus today, saints? Do you love him? Are you ready to go preach the word? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for today. I know we got second service coming. How many of you need to repent for some of the things you've been believing? Just repent right now. We're not better than anybody else. Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for our unchristian worldviews. Have you had an unbiblical way of looking at marriage? Have you had an unbiblical way of looking at your job? Have there been things in your life that have been unbiblical? Why don't you make it personal right now before we point more fingers? Jesus, change our worldview. Wipe away the dust from our eyes. Take the plank out of our eyes that we can see. Pray right now for yourself. The Bible says examine yourself. The psalmist said it like this, Lord, test my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me and then lead me in the ways of everlasting life. God, I don't want to act like a know-it-all because God, only you know it all. So I want to grow in my knowledge of you. Is there anything in Joe's life today, Lord, that doesn't line up to your worldview? Is there a way I'm looking at things 
that you don't want me to see it that way. Change my perspective, God. Some of you going through troubles and all you see is the troubles. Come on, ask God to rise you up on eagle's wings so you can see the presence and the power of God above those problems.